All right. If we want to see our churches grow, we need to make it harder to join, and we need to be better about excluding people. We need to be able to show that there is a distinction between the church and the world, that it means something to be a Christian. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to unfold your word, to be able to bring it forth, um, to humbly uh, attempt to uh, bring some awareness of this topic, uh, to handle your word carefully, to be able to um, impart wisdom, uh, not because uh, you've granted me anything, but Lord, because your word cannot return void, it is powerful, and I pray that we would learn from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the, I, the first thing I'll say right off the bat is I got church discipline. Uh, there was a little list that went around, and it asked who wanted to do what, and I was unfortunately in non-cell phone service at the time, so I wasn't responding quickly enough, and I noticed that seven or eight men had already said what they would like to do and what date they would like to do. The weird thing was I told people what topic I had, and that was church discipline, and they said a variation of many different things. Oh, that makes sense. I could see you picking that one. That seems appropriate for you. Uh, no, I actually didn't church, uh, choose church discipline. Um, everyone else chose not to do church discipline, just, just saying. Um, that being said, we'll see how well we handle the topic this morning. Let me go back to that quote I started with. This will be something that we'll actually work through as we go through this, uh, this lesson today. And I want to make sure that we are thinking about what this means and the ramifications thereof. If we want to see our churches grow, we need to make it harder to join, and we need to be better about excluding people. We need to be able to show that there is a distinction between the church and the world, that it means something to be a Christian. This author kind of starts this conversation by setting out three very distinct questions, and I want to make sure that we kind of cover those questions as well. He says, first, are we to live as Christians on our own, or do we have some obligation to others? In other words, are we going at this alone? The second one, do our obligations to each other involve merely encouraging each other positively, or do they include a responsibility to speak honestly to each other of our faults, shortcomings, departures from scriptures, or specific sins? Could our responsibility, third, could our responsibility before God also include something, sometimes making such matters public? Sometimes making such matters public. Now, I don't think we'll have a hard time with the first questions. We, we believe uh, that we should live with some obligation to each other. Uh, we see that when somebody has a need. Um, it's very obvious when somebody has a need. We see people jumping up to meet that need. Um, the meal train being a great example. Uh, a new birth, some hardship in a family, and immediately there seems to be this uh, an abundance of food. Um, and who couldn't use a good casserole? Um, the second one. The second one seems a little bit more pointed. Sure. The three questions? Okay. I was going to say, I've, I've already started. I've got a lot to repeat here, but sure. The three questions. I'll, I'll go a little slower as well. Are we to live as Christians on our own, or do we have some obligation to each other? That's our first question. The longer question uh, is, do our obligations to each other involve merely encouraging each other positively, or do they include a responsibility to speak honestly to each other of our faults, 
shortcomings, departures from Scripture, or specific sins. Third one is, could our responsibilities before God also include sometimes making such matters public? And I'll be happy to hand you my notes when I'm done if you need to play catch up on all those. The second one is a little bit more pointed. Speak to each other of our faults, shortcomings, departures from Scripture, or specific sins. When was the last time you confronted somebody on a specific sin? Where you walked up to them and actually talked about the sin? Seems a little hard. The third, though, in considering all the implications, has a large degree of concern for us. When do we make something public? What does it mean when it goes public? What do we do then? Okay, it went public. Now what? Before we go too far down the route, let's make sure that we understand so many of the underpinnings of the church of church discipline. By the way, before we go any further, the word discipline. Is there another very biblical term that we can think of in the vein of discipline? Disciple. Great. So when we talk about a disciple, we are inherently believing in some level of discipline. They both have the same root. Now, is it easy to find church discipline being handled incorrectly in our churches? really not hard. I've seen it multiple times. Uh, the awkwardness that was never talked through as it was worked out. But there's also really good examples of walking directly through what the Bible talks to us about church discipline and going through the actual uh, activities. Uh, we've got seven items, I know, in an hour. Here we go. Uh, the first one is we're going to start with a biblical basis for both personal as well as church discipline. We're going to have a quick definition of what church discipline is. We're going to examine the positive side of church discipline. We're going to review a historical perspective on church discipline. Thinking through modern barriers to church discipline. Uh, affirming our resolve to practice church discipline. And then a final caution at, uh, for failing to practice church discipline. In all of this, I, I want to make sure that I'm very clear. Obviously, in an hour, and the number of subjects we're going to cover, this is going to be a survey. This is not going to be the full encompassing of this item. You've got a lot more to do in your own personal study to be able to come to anything more. If we talk about church discipline, what's the first passage that everyone always brings up? It's a good one, by the way. It's, it's the right one. Matthew 18. Three steps, right? Uh, let's go to Matthew 18, uh, 15 through 17. Three verses, a few more steps than, than three, I believe. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And by the way, we're entering the uh, participant participation uh, section of the, the lesson. So be ready. And I was a former teacher, so I'll just call on you if, if nobody answers. So. <laughs> Matthew 18, 15 through 17. This is from the ESV. If your brother sins against you, go and tell his him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, there's step two. Step three, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And step four, if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him 
let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Quintessential. This is where we go to find the sequence of church discipline most often. Uh, but I do think we need to take a wider net. And so does the author of the, the passage, which is where I got the idea of, I, I flip-flopped those. The author had an idea to take a wider net. I agree with him. Uh, the book uh, talks about, um, takes a step back from the sequence of Matthew. In other words, don't look at just the sequence of Matthew. Let's actually go and look at some other verses that uh, help us to understand this. Um, we're going to look at two passages in the New Testament. Um, your first, if you want to go there now, is Hebrews 12, 1 through 14. We're going to read that together. Um, and what I want to do at this point is I want to get some feedback. We're going to look at this, and we're going to look at not just church discipline, because church discipline is a personal discipline exhibited at a church level. We're going to look at the personal discipline first, individual discipline. So as I read, I want you to be thinking about some of the aspects of individual discipline that start to show themselves in this passage. So, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we, have surrounded, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not, be, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives." It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected, him, respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So here's the question. This is actually a passage on personal discipline. We don't see church discipline coming into this uh, activity as we would define it normally. What are some of the aspects of personal discipline that are revealed in this passage? Who has one? Personal discipline. Yes. Growth, okay. So uh, an aspect of, uh, of personal discipline will be that we'll see some level of growth. What verse did you find that in, by the way? <laughs> you didn't have it open. Okay. We can definitely see the growth that's, uh, that's listed, even in, in the very end. Um, you know, we have healing in the very end. We also have, uh, let me see here. There was an aspect of growth. You're right. 
Verse 3. Thank you. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I think by implication that you would continue to grow in faith. Good. For verse 1, I wrote down, discipline is the laying off of the weight of sin for the purpose of running with endurance. If you look at that first verse, we are to literally look for things to lay off. Another way to say that is no. I'm not going to do this activity. I've got to drop this. I've got to get rid of this. Are they bad activities? Well, maybe not, but are they good activities? Are they growing you? And I have to lay those things off. What else? Anything in verse 2? Actually, verse 1, I have another one as well. Yes. Correct. Well, and we have, we have the Bible as a witness to that. We have our historical perspective of that. But I do think we have, frankly, those that have gone before me, I need to be looking to them and asking questions about, you know, how did you, how did you reach these, uh, these levels of discipline? How about verse 3? And then there's a phrase in there. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So it's not as if we don't have a good form of discipline already to follow. We already have, he gives us two of them, witnesses and Christ himself. How about from verse 4? I've got two for verse verse 4. One more time. I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. I don't think I'm quite, I'm not quite hearing you. I apologize. It just kicked on. Ah, okay. So in order to be called sons, uh, I wouldn't be a good father if I didn't discipline my children. Some of you think I probably should discipline my children more. Um, I wouldn't be a good father. Some of you just got that that was a joke. Um, So uh, I, I should be disciplining if I have a son. My son is receiving discipline and is growing from it. I'll kind of hit a few more of these, and that is one I also had as well. Um, I had sin is a struggle. Are you struggling with sin? And I think we have this connotation, by the way. I'm struggling with sin. Okay, if you're being defeated by sin and you're constantly struggling with it, that's a problem. But are you actually putting forth, you know, putting your toe to the line and, and stepping up to struggle against sin? Are you actually working against that? If you're not struggling against sin, are you winning? Uh, No discipline in the struggle against sin is so great that you have to shed your own blood to atone for it. Think about that for a minute. You don't have to shed your blood in order to take care of the sins that you have in your world. It's already done. That's already been taken care of. Verse 5, discipline and rebuke 
as well as chastisement go hand in hand. If you're going to have growth, if you're going to have discipline, chastisement will become part of that equation. Verse 8, if you lack discipline, <laughs> pretty strong. If you lack discipline, you are not a son of God. Where are you lacking discipline? Verse 9, discipline and respect go hand in hand. Uh, verse 10, discipline is for our good and for a share in holiness. Uh, verse 11, discipline in the moment is hardly ever pleasant, but, also verse 11, discipline yields righteousness. So, I think the, f- uh, yes, Ray. I think I would agree. I would ask this question in that, that process. Um, regardless of who else might have spoken into them, do I have an obligation to speak to them? I think so often we, we ask that question. I, I hear what you're saying, though. I'm only saying that you don't have to say that you're Correct. At, at the very least, um, God has not given us something that would be beyond our ability if he's commanding us to do it as well. And when I say ability... Him with us going to do these activities. Is that fair? Okay. I think I agree with that. Discipline in and of itself is not bad. It's pretty easy to see discipline actioned out. Um, all you do have to do is see um, Alan Haney <laughs> to see discipline. Okay? The guy disciplines his body a very specific way and it shows. He has a He has a care and a discipline about himself. And by the way, he has to say no to certain things, and he has to say yes to certain things in order for that to take place. I think of Adam. He brings us the word week after week. I'm guessing there are a few times he has to say no to some things that might be something he'd want to do. Um, So as we look at discipline, we shouldn't be looking at discipline in the sense of how hard it is. We should be looking at the fruit it yields. Um, Any of us would say, Um, It's obvious what Alan was able to produce, and we're thankful for what Adam brings to us, or anybody that puts themselves to the discipline of of being prepared to get up here. Let's look at a second passage. We'll go to 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. What I want to say is I've taken two passages out of many the the author of the book uh, put forth, but I don't think it would be hard to go and find more and more passages on the idea of discipline, or on the idea of uh, a level of holiness that's uh, involved in discipline as well. Um, and you can go all the way back to the patriarch days to find those items. So second, se- let's try that one more time. Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. And again, we're going to be looking for, in a verse-by-verse method, some of, the, um, some of the bridges, if you will, from what we just studied in Hebrews to what we're studying in Thessalonians. So we're looking at personal discipline, and we're bridging it to church discipline. So think about that as we go through this. Verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us 
because we were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we work day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and excuse me, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we have we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So starting in verse 6, do we have any kinds of activities around the idea of discipline and then as a bridge between personal discipline and church discipline? Because that's where we're heading. Anything in verse 6? Or something else struck out to you in another section of the passage? Uh, so, the, and again, for those that might be watching at home, the idea that it goes from uh, physical discipline to more of a spiritual discipline, which translates into a corporate discipline. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, I think, I think that's part of the point of all of this, is we talk about church discipline as if it's something that the pastor does or the elders do. Church discipline is all of our responsibility. It's, it's literally what you do in your personal life emanates out into the, the aspect of church discipline. Well, I haven't quite got there yet. I'll, I'll make a statement, and I want you to, you know, you can come up to me afterwards and, and validate this with me and let me know I'm wrong. But for somebody to get to the point where they're standing up in front of the church or the pastor has to get up and talk about church discipline as we know it formally, how many other things must have failed in both personal and one another discipline by that point? I mean, the, the pastor knowing about it should be a last item on this whole journey of this passage. Because if you go back to Matthew 18, it's not the pastor that gets involved, really, until the church is told, necessarily. It could be a pastor and go tell one, go tell a couple. So again, think through some of these aspects of it and what that must mean coming back to you. Uh, so I'll give you a brief overview. Again, time is going to get away from me if I don't. Uh, if we go to verse 7. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 6, avoid brothers walking in idleness, not in line with doctrine. In other words, uh, I think this goes back to um, don't be a companion of fools. Don't, don't hang around with people that aren't willing to step up and be disciplined as well. Um, verse 7, we have examples, and you should imitate those examples. In other words, um, Paul called them to imitate him, and he did a very purposeful activity. He said it would be right for me to take money from you for giving you, uh, or for you to give money to me as I was providing a service 
to you and the way I was discipling, the way I was giving to you. But I didn't do that because I want you to see what you should be doing in, in your activity. Uh, verses 8 and 9, eight and nine um, rights do not trump the expectation of example. Again, going back to that, uh, which I just talked about. Again, they deserve that uh, to, be, to be compensated for um, providing this. Again, Paul would use the, uh, the analogy of don't muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain, being, bring the principle that you take care of the people that are overseeing your, your spiritual walk. Uh, verses 10, 11, discipline comes before reward for the discipline. In other words, uh, uh, you have to be disciplined in order to get to the reward. You don't get the reward without discipline. Verse 13, discipline has a level of inherent weariness. Discipline has a level of inherent weariness. Uh, when you don't get results really quickly on what you're disciplined to do, it becomes weary as you go in to do the same activity over and over, believing that you're going to have something that comes out of that. Uh, verse 14, those that veer from doctrine are to be separated from so that they may be, and what's the word that's used in ESV? <laughs> Shh, don't say it too loudly. We don't want to shame anybody. Ashamed. That doesn't fit real well, does it? We don't really like the idea of ashamed. Is shame biblical? I'd have to say shame is biblical, and it actually is a function. It's a, it's a, it's a gift to the church. You should on the right things. Be careful here. Shame for the right things is right. It is. I know that's a big, broad statement. You can come up and tell me how I'm wrong and show me some Bible passages about that. Um, but shame should be an aspect of discipline for stepping out. Um, uh, I don't know that Alan feels terribly shamed by eating a donut, um, but I bet you he'll feel really shamed when he can't get that next um, personal best on, on the weight systems. Um, last, last verse, last verse. I'm looking for what's important about that last verse. It's a little bit different from what we find in Matthew 18. There's something different about this last verse. Yeah, I'm still regarding him. I'm warning him as a brother. I'm giving him shame as a warning as a brother. Not because I want to see him harmed. I'm not treating him like an enemy. I am doing this because I want my brother to also share in the same discipline and come to a right standing again. Okay, so we kind of walked through a couple of passages. You may or may not be convinced of all those items of, of where we're going with this, but let's look at, uh, we're going to look at one more passage, but I think it's important that we define church discipline. We've talked a little bit about it. We've had some negative connotations. We've talked about the process involved. Let's try and come to some level of definition um, when we talk about church discipline. Um, I'm going to go to one more passage here. That's 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes to Timothy as a... 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes to Timothy, um, you know, he's overseeing a, a, a church there. Um, and Paul is treating him uh, as a pastor and talking to him as a pastor. So we'll see a little bit of a behind the curtains, if you will, on, on some of the, the, uh, the interaction here. So again, we're looking at church discipline in the realm of personal discipline and how it translates into corporate discipline. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 5. 
and then we're going to skip to 10 through 16. Um, again, we've looked at the personal. Now we're getting into what I would call the corporate aspect of church discipline. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for the people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen and with, con- with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Skipping down to verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, Uh, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I said 10 through 16, that was 17. Just pointing that out, I noticed a mistake on my own outline. Um, The practical application is here. Men are going to be wrapped up in their own sin. It's going to be very easy for them to be deceived into their own sin. It's inherent in their worldview. The uh, antithesis or the antidote to this is what? What is the antithesis? What's the antidote to the world as we see it? It's probably got a two-prong answer in this. The hint is one through five is what we see in the world. Six through or ten through seven. Give me 10 through 17 is what we see as the antidote. It's probably a two-part antidote. And Paul? Okay, so when we talk about discipline, and and I agree with you, Paul, that verses 10 through basically 15 is saying, hey, this is is the model that I've provided. You can see this model. You can see in my own life how this model is presented. You should be following this model. And then verses 16 through 17 give us two uh, equipments basically for that. The first is Scripture. Well, Scripture is there, and it's your basis for teaching, Reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when we think about um, uh, what we see enacted in Matthew 18 is nothing more than a natural progression of our individual as well as corporate sanctification. 
the practical ac application is to ask whether you are not only seeking to have those truths spoken to you, but also to ask how you are preparing yourself to have that influence with others. It's very easy to come in on church on Sunday morning thinking about what I'm going to gain out of church, bring my problems to church, seeking somebody to help me with my problems, or even relying on what comes from the pulpit, which, by the way, is not a wrong thing. But I come with one half of the equation, wanting to receive, but I don't think about what I should be doing to give. Are you thinking about those people that you need to follow up with and see what happened over the last week? Um, that bad conversation, or that tricky conversation, or the lack of conversation. So as we look at church discipline, I think what we want to look at is not church discipline. <laughs> we want to look at personal discipline. Personal discipline will lead to church discipline. Now, we've talked a little bit about the hard part about church discipline. Let's talk about the upside of church discipline. Uh, what's good about it? If I broke that phrase up, church and discipline apart, and focus on the second word, discipline, it has much of the negative connotations. We talked about Alan, we talked about Adam and what they do. If we looked at that, we'd have to understand that discipline um, is good. Uh, a brace against a tree, a little sapling, to help it grow. Braces on teeth to make sure they don't get out of whack. By the way, really painful. Don't appreciate that. It, who had braces? Anybody have braces growing up? Okay. I'm really struggling with the commercials for those Invisaligns, you know, that they show how nice the... I had the full headgear. It was embarrassing to go out in public, um, which might explain my personality to some degree. Um, braces on teeth. Telling your children for the 400th time, close your mouth when you chew your food. Nobody wants to see that. That's all part of our discipline. Discipline, therefore, is also a faithful activity. Um, and while it constrains, it leads to such good ends. Now, what I thought was really interesting is the, the author took a, a little bit of time in the book to talk about some of the historical perspectives on church discipline. So I'm going to give you all a, a few pieces of that, and we'll go quickly through this. But I thought they were, were uh, quite worthy to talk about. Um, he talked about a, a guy by the name of H.E. Uh, Dana, I think. Um, and he said, church discipline two generations ago. By the way, this is, this is 70, 80 years plus ago. He said, church discipline two generations ago was vindictive and arbitrary. But today, the pendulum has swung to the other extreme. Discipline is wholly neglected. And another one, he says, it was also noted that pre-Civil War, the Southern Baptists excommunicated 2% of our church uh, every year. And those churches grew. And to give perspective, um, one, two, three. That's how many people you need to get rid of this year in order to stay on par with uh, <laughs> the Southern Baptist. Okay? But their churches grew through discipline. That seems counterintuitive. Uh, another one I found interesting. Urban churches, pressed by the need for large buildings and the desire for refined music and preaching, subordinated church discipline to the task of keeping the church Solvent, making sure we had enough money, the right buildings, the right stuff. Many Baptists shared a new vision of the church, replacing the pursuit of purity with a quest for efficiency. In other words, they forgot church discipline for what was expedient. We're going to forget that and just do, you know, let's, let's make sure that our big donor who's living in deep sin 
Let's not, let's not put him through church discipline because how would we afford this? That's the level at which we've, we've subordinated it. And again, we being the, the modern American church, I think. Um, and then one other quote. What occurred more and more were protracted series of, series of meetings and entertainments and impassioned calls to immediate decision with the pastor called upon occasionally to deal with the most serious cases of church discipline. So that's an amazing in of itself, but I think what's even more amazing is uh, he's from Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He pointed back to the 18, late 1800s when Capitol Hill was founded. And let me read you a list of some of the things that would have gotten you kicked out of the church, potentially, and I say kicked out. Discipline, church disciplined, as we've called it. Any outward violations of moral law? Okay, that makes sense, right? Living in sin, that makes sense. Pursuing any course which may, in the judgment of the church, be disreputable to it as a body. Uh, so I just said that. Let me, let me say it a different way. If the church thinks that you might be doing something that may not cast a good light on it, church discipline. That seems pretty harsh. Absenting themselves, not being present, habitually without good reason from the church at the seasons set apart for public worship. Don't come to church. We're not going to reactively start to take you off the rolls and not really worry about you. We're going to proactively say, hey, you aren't showing up at church. Can you explain why you're not showing up at church? And if you don't respond well, hey, you're not acting like you're part of the church. Again, 1878, different time, same Bible, just saying. Neglecting or refusing to contribute toward defraying the expenses of the church according to their several abilities. Oh, you make more money. Why aren't you helping to take care of the church? God blessed. Why wouldn't you take care of the church? Again, I'm presenting these as ways of helping us understand the level at which church discipline was enacted uh, in previous times. Holding and advocating doctrines opposed to those set forth in the statement of faith. That seems fairly straightforward. Treating the acts and doings of the church contemptuously or pursuing such a course as it is calculated to produce discord. So are you doing things that are going to cause discord in our church? Maybe you don't need to be a part of our church. Maybe we need to have some very pointed conversations first. Divulging to persons not interested what is done in the meetings of the church. Seems a little weird, but makes sense. Pursuing any course of conduct, unbecoming good citizens and professing Christians. That's one I thought was kind of interesting because now we're not just talking about how we act in the church, we're also talking about how we act in the world as a citizen of this world as well. Um, he also goes on to talk about how even a founding member was church, uh, was, was basically um, removed from the church um, for the serious sin of not coming to church for a period of time. Why would that be? Anybody have an idea of why it would be that absent from the church would be a cause for a consideration of church discipline. Let me ask it a different way. What usually happens when somebody stops coming to the place where they're hearing about the things they should do in their life? Their oughts. Right. Why would I come to church with my itching ears, as we learned about in Timothy, wanting to hear things that I think are good because the not because they're good, but because of 
I want them to confirm my life activities. I don't think we see that as a serious issue. Let me ask a different question. Why don't we see these things as serious issues? Is there any ramifications from the modern church that might lead to that? I'll give you my first one. There's a church on every corner. If I don't like this church, just like another restaurant, don't like the sandwich at this, I'll go to another church down the road. No big deal. I look, there's 25 churches within about five miles of here. 25 churches. Now, most of them, <laughs> I don't think we would consider churches because of the, the defining natures of what they are, but they're listed as churches in the area. What else? Aaron's gonna, Aaron Goings is going to actually cover another aspect of this that I don't think we, we think too strongly about. Aaron, what's your topic? Church membership. I, I'm, I'm not sure church discipline makes much sense without some level of church membership. Paul? Okay, I think that's a great point. We are, by nature, a body. I'm going to try and summarize, Paul. Uh, We're, by nature, a body, and if a part of that body is missing, the whole body suffers because of it. Good, I agree. What else? What other things are inherent in our modern church? If I were to do a raise of hands of how many people are actually in the Word on a daily basis, praying on a daily basis, seeking out counsel of others, on a regular basis. Would that be something that we would have easily had, honestly? All of our hands going up? I won't, I won't embarrass you. I won't embarrass you. I know some of you do. I've heard it. You can see it. It's obvious. How many of us think that that's the responsibility of somebody else to do? Somebody has to encourage me to do those things. It's right there in the Bible. If you, if you need to be encouraged to get into the word daily, I, I, I question whether we won't, at some point, have to suffer with church discipline as a body because of that. How about this building? You know what I loved about our church early on? People showed up. They set up chairs. We, we had a little terrible keyboard, not, not anything like this beautiful piano we have. People were involved. They were engaged. We get a building, and now it's a place you come, not a people you come to. So I caution, our modern church hides the real church sometimes. Our modern church disguises our real church. And there's nothing wrong with our building. There's nothing wrong with our liturgy. There's nothing wrong with having a wonderful piano that plays beautiful music that we all get to enjoy. My question is, is how have you framed church in your own head as a place I go Or is it the person I need to go talk to today to make sure that the body, the church, is still healthy? That I'm being healthy in the activities that I take on in a personal discipline? I think it's really easy to find faults in our our modern church. And in fact, um, you have the deconstructionist out there that will break it all down and say everything about church today is wrong. That's, that's wrong. 
that, that's not at all true. But it does help me remember, um, as I was reading through this, this passage or this book, um, the pastor set up a church system in which there were no buildings. This is a book I read, so it's separate from this book. There were no buildings, there was no church buildings per se, and they did all of church, not in a home, but out in the open. Meaning, all church was done by, hey, I've got to work on my house. We're going to invite everybody over. We're all going to work on the house together, and everybody's going to be a part of it. We're going to share a meal. There'll be a lesson during that time. And it was this full day of activities where church was much more than just a building. Again, I'm not sure that we have to go to that extreme where we sell everything and move into, you know, um, you know communes together and have some sort of weird... Uh, sect, if you will, some sort of cult. But at the same time, I think they understand church better than we do sometimes. I think they understand what it means. Uh, because if we don't understand discipline and we don't understand church, how can we put those two words together and hope to have an answer? So, why do we practice church discipline? I'm going to give some, some passages uh, and some, some bullet points here. and um, uh, Feel free to jot them down. I'll be glad to hand you my notes afterwards um, if that would help you. Um, the first one, and we read it a couple of times, is it's for the good of the person being disciplined. Adam doesn't preach well because he's just naturally gifted, although I think that's true. He preaches well because he disciplines himself to actually get into the Word. Alan must discipline himself. And some of us could use a little bit more discipline ourselves. It's for the good of the person being disciplined. Number two, for the good of other Christians as they see the danger of sin. Uh, for the first one, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll give you the verses for that. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 20. For... Uh, for the good of other Christians as they see the danger of sin, our second point, you can look at 1 Timothy 5.20 for a good example of that. Um, three, for the health of the church as a whole. And Paul hit on it earlier. If somebody leaves our church, if a true Christian leaves our church, they will leave a gap. There will be a hurting body left behind. Because that person left something uh, that caused pain. And even if we have to come to the pulpit, and have a public display of the inaction of church discipline doesn't change the fact that there will be a hurting church on both sides of that equation, the one leaving and the one, uh, and the one staying. Uh, and that's 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Uh, fourth, for the corporate witness of the church. You can go to Matthew 5, 16, John 13, 34 through 35. I'm going to pause just because I just realized I said those really quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.1 and 1 Peter 2.12. So for the corporate witness of the church, our church should be known for our distinction. We should be known for the way we love. We should be known for what we have uh, about us that is distinctly from God. And then really the last one, and I think the most important one, for the glory of God as we reflect his holiness. All of this is about his glory. By allowing uh, undisciplined, or we could say sin, to corrupt a church body, 
we are not providing glory to God in, in the way we act. So that's from Genesis 1.27. You can see where we're made in the image of God for his glory. 2 Corinthians 6.14 through 7.1. 1 Peter 2.12 and Colossians 1.21 through 22. All right. Now the race to the end, folks. I'm going to actually... I had one, one more thing that I'll, I'll say is... Um, I, I don't know if it'll surprise some people here... Um, especially since they weren't surprised that I had church discipline. Um, but I have been a manager for almost a decade now, and one of the aspects of being a manager is dealing with people <laughs> and watching them go through the various stages of, um, we'll call it um, work discipline as a parallel. Um, unfortunately, in my first five years of being an actual manager, I stopped counting at 40 the number of people I had to release from my company for various reasons. Tons of different reasons. Um, there are parallels here. And I don't think that we would look at work. If I got rid of church, and I talked about work for just a second, I think most people would agree with the reasons why people might leave work. It's pretty obvious. Um, first, some of the parallels. We had many prior conversations with these individuals, most of the time, unless a, a grievous thing had happened, about how to get them back on the right track. It's, and it's an ownness. I actually can't fire somebody <laughs> if I haven't proven to HR that I have done everything possible to keep them there, which, by the way, seems like a good parallel. In-the-moment feedback, one-to-one -one conversations, coaching plans, performance reviews, performance improvement plans. Second, the person chose to come to this company of their own free will. People walk through those front doors of their own free will. Nobody is compulsing them to come through those doors. Uh, they weren't coerced into coming to work. Uh, they were provided guidelines. That's one of the first week of activities. And they fell short, often being well-supported with encouragement and exhortation. Hey, let's talk about how you didn't do so well there. Oh, hey, just caught you doing something good. Let's talk about how great that was. They leave for various reasons. Poor attendance, lack of competence, loss of desire, failing to square away their personal life, besetting unresolved issues, meaning they don't actually work at making themselves better. Back to discipline. Uh, issues with other employees. Lack of respect for their leadership and distracted with envy for the things they don't have. I'm actually dealing with the situation of that last one right now, so it, it hits home. What's really cool is that I have two examples that I can easily pull on where somebody was definitely right on the door of being pushed out of our company because they had failed to just do the things they were supposed to do. And they realized it, they made a change, and now they're really actually quite awesome. They're a wonderful part of our work world. I also had somebody that went through the process of not liking the, the rules and regulations at my company, leave. Went to another company, and then six months later begged to come back. So in those kinds of situations, it's actually not hard. We, we actually understand that when it comes to work. Why do we assume such a difference when we talk about church? Why do we assume such a difference? So I'll end here. Uh, there's a caution against not practicing church discipline. And really, how big of a deal is it? The author quotes John Dagg, when discipline leaves the church, Christ goes with it. 
So the real caution here is, first, if we don't see discipline among our members, and we don't see discipline in our church, why do we expect Christ to also be here with us? That's a failed expectation. Followed by saying, if we cannot say that's, if we cannot say what something is not, we can't very well say what it is. Sorry for giving you that, that sentence this early in the morning. If we give up the ability to say what a Christian is not, we cannot meaningfully say what a Christian is. If we want to see our churches healthy, we must actively care for each other, even to the point of confrontation. The author remarks and says uh, that he once read a book where the, the author of the book says, hey, our churches will only get great if we open the front doors and we close the back ones. And the author thought about it for a while, and he says, no, I disagree. Because what that implies is we're welcoming everybody, and we want to keep all of them. Our churches may need to have closed front doors that have to be open for only a select few, and the back door is wide open to let those that aren't here, aren't with us. In other words, it's not a harvesting only. It's a weeding out, if you will, of what's in our church body. Again, I think we need to deal with which, which side of that equation we, we believe we're on. So I'll close where I began. If we want to see our churches grow, we need to make it harder to join, and we need to be better about excluding people. We need to be able to show that there is a distinction between the church and the world, that it means something to be a Christian. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we have been presented with a viewpoint of hard truth. Um, We have had to wrestle with what we really believe about this. May we not just take this man's Uh, interpretation and opinion, but may we as the uh, Berean believers search out the scripture and make sure that we have come to an understanding of this. And Lord, if we come to a mirror that shows our imperfections, uh, let us not walk away from it, believing ourselves to be good and forgetting what we have seen in it. But Lord, let us take time to consider uh, both what it means to have it at a church level a corporate body level, but also in what it means to have personal discipline. I pray that you be with Adam as he brings the word and that our activities today would be uh, fraught with meaning, with desire, with glory to you, and with fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.